Good morning, I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And this is Writers Get Animated. Um, I can't think of another way to say this. This might be a very special episode of Writers Get Animated, uh, which is ironic and sad at the same time. Uh, we are talking about diversity in animation today. And not just in terms of creator diversity, but in character representation of diversity. Diversity, inclusivity. Yeah, all these words. The word minority gets tossed around a little bit. Yeah. But I don't like the word. I don't like minority either. If you add up all the minorities, it's a majority. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Minjority? Minjority. <laughs> that sounds like that could get... Never mind. Um, Moving on. <laughs> um, hopefully there will be some funny bits of today's episode, but I think Chris and I will both take this seriously at the same time. And we will, I'm sure, throw out some stuff at some point. Well, I... This is this is a very personal topic. Yeah. I think for both of us in different ways. Mm-hmm. Because diversity, when, when we think of diversity, we're thinking about what are the defaults that our society sees for characters in story. And then anything outside of that suddenly becomes... Um, what, what, what do I... Token? Correct. Mm-hmm. So... It's what have we lived with in animation and society in general, storytelling and society, just as what are what is the default setting for our stories that are being told? Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take Pixar to have a female <clears throat> lead? Lead, lead, brave, brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in their shorts, there was not a female lead. Really? Oh, you're right. So it took Pixar that long to get from Toy Story to Brave. It was up before or after Brave? Up was um, before. Okay, and that's our first person of color lead, I think, in mm-hmm. Pixar. Mm. Which I didn't even realize till I was researching for this episode. I was like, oh, okay. That took a long time. Correct. Part of it, though, I think with um, cartoons especially, is there's a a default to use the same word to go to like these non-gendered non-racial mythical or magical beings in cartoons as well so it's kind of hard to show diversity and it's interesting when cartoons have these non-human non-gendered non-racial things and they try and explore diversity in this imagined culture as well how do you mean um We'll talk a little bit more about Legend of Korra specifically, Mm -hmm. Um, but Legend of Korra, of course, is a very um, visually diverse in terms of people of color in that world. And they don't really, they don't have diversity in culture in the same way that we do here on Earth (laughs) in the real world. Um, But they do explore culture and backgrounds a little bit with those characters and what that means, because typically um, for different skin tones in Legend of Korra, you're from different tribes. And they each have their own culture that they bring. It's kind of about, the whole show is about unifying. That nationality and everything to it. Yeah, so it does explore that a little bit. And that's not necessarily a non-human, non-gendered version, but there's that. There's also Steven Universe with the gems, which I'll mention more. But the gems, I'm not far enough into it to know enough. But the gems (laughs) have their, their own roles based on the type of gem that they are. Right. All the pearls do something. All the... I'm not far enough into it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing about this, when we're talking about diversity, we, we mean 
um, capital D mm-hmm. diversity, but also um, in every manner, not just racial diversity, um, but gender, um, sexuality, economic status, nationality, ability. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're talking about diversity in, in terms of all that kind of representation mm-hmm. and how that gets shown. Um, when we start, you, you have an interesting starting point here, the uh, Smurfette principle. Yeah. Start, let's start there as we talk, talk through this and, and, and see where we end up. But. So today's show is going to kind of break down into diversity before the early mid-90s in cartoons and animation. I'm making weird hand gestures here. Um, you are. They're very nice, though. Thank you. Um, and then there's also diversity after early mid-90s in cartoon shows. The Smurfette principle, kind of looking back at the history of cartoons, in the Smurf world, each Smurf had a characteristic, and that was their defining thing. And Smurfette's defining characteristic was that she was a girl. And that was it. There were no other girl Smurfs. It was just Smurfette because she was the girl. Mm-hmm. And that's what she represented. Mm-hmm. That's who she was. Everyone else had a personality, mm-hmm. you know. And her personality was stereotypical girl stuff for right. the most part. I mean, we even had Vanity Smurf, who <laughs> there's some diversity there as well. But he was very, he's more not to defend Vanity, but he was uh, <laughs> very based on Narcissus, I feel, from Greek mythology. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was. Yeah. However, however, Narcissus may also have been a little diverse. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I think we See, there's some funny stuff in this episode. <laughs> um, so there's the Smurfette principle, and I mean, obviously, token characters come from other points, but Smurfette is one of our first, like, real definable token characters. Where you don't think of her as a character in her own right with a personality. If you had maybe. Could Handy Smurf be a female? What would that do? Mm-hmm. If you just took the adjective Smurf, that's I think that would be, make Smurfs diverse. Would be instead of Handy Smurf necessarily being or Hefty Smurf. I'm, I'm losing all of them. <laughs> so Hefty Smurf is the one with the heart tattoo that was voiced mm. by George Lopez in the movies. <laughs> but uh, anyway. So Hefty Smurf, what if Hefty Smurf was a woman? Mm-hmm. What if Vanity Smurf was a woman? You know, what? why does the adjective slash Smurf go immediately to being a man? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the default. Even in Smurf world, where everyone is blue, mm-hmm. there's that default representation of still male. Right. So... <clears throat> and and you don't think about Smurfette personality-wise, as as you were saying. You don't mm-hmm. think of her as a full character. I don't know what she does. You get you insert her because well, it'd probably be good for girls to have a a girl. When yeah. you start thinking about marketing or or other things that way, and not about character and what that could actually do and mean and be important. Um, and there's a side note in there somewhere about. 
network executives and what they want in shows because how they can sell the merchandise. Because one of the reasons Young Justice was canceled was because they had too many girl fans. And so the executives decided that because girls were watching Young Justice, they should cancel the show because girls won't buy merchandise. If you market it well, I, I'm sure they would. Yeah. So you get a diverse show and people want to cancel it despite it being good, well-received and being genderly diverse and also racially diverse with a black main character, at least in mm. season one. Aqualad. Aqualad. Um, but that's getting off track. More before mid-90s or very special episodes. We're like, oh, now we meet a character who is in a wheelchair for this one episode who never comes back. And we talk about that. Right. And that's about as far as they go. Yeah. We meet the one person, the character has a realization that, oh my gosh, they are a person. Mm-hmm. And then that relationship is ended after <laughs> when the credits roll. Now we're friends forever. Ha ha. Music plays. You never see them again. Right. Because then we're back to normal. Mm-hmm. The world goes back. The world resets. The world resets. Um, in the light defense of our next example, the world doesn't reset. They do introduce, um, I'm using air quotes here, diverse characters into super friends. Um, And they are diverse in stereotypes, um, because we do get Black Vulcan, whose name is Black. Um, El Dorado, our Latino superhero. Apache Chief, who I think might be the worst defender. Um, And Samurai, but no one loves Samurai. So, not a lot of thought given to them as character. Yeah. It's just, oh, here's your defining thing. Oh, you're Native American, so we're going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Your superpower is growing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's just so annoying when there's just lack of thought, lack of forethought, your lack of consideration. You just... It's it's just done because you you feel like you have to. It's tacked on. Mm-hmm. Tacked on token. <laughs> I can't make a I can't resolve those two things. It's just it it, it just gets so upsetting when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um and then you have Captain Planet, which right. does have positive diversity, although it doesn't really explore that at all. It's tacked on, yes. But it it the fact that you, um, the fact that they're there and don't make a comment on it, I, I'm wondering if that makes it okay. Mm. It makes it nice to kind of see diverse characters existing in a world and being part of the team and not having negative stereotypes associated with them. It's a stepping stone, is what I see it as. And not making a comment on it means that it's normal, mm-hmm. it normalizes it. Yeah. I mean, now to think of it, it's like, oh, you have these same characters. You've got, you got one of each. We checked all the boxes. And now we're good. Mm-hmm. And you can't have Captain Planet and have a team of white people. Because it's Captain Planet. Planet. Not Captain... America. Oh, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go Captain Red State or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But even, even the Red States are all diverse Mm -hmm. there's been a great latino diaspora that has gone on Mm. um throughout history Mm -hmm. um particularly um south 
but also moving into the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I'm doing sweeping gestures. Of, um, it's like I'm watching a weather forecast yeah, right now. We have Latinos moving through the <laughs> South and then up through the Midwest. Hmm. <laughs> Things are getting more diverse. <laughs> <sighs> but um, no, this it's, it's changing in places that hadn't necessarily had to deal with it in, mm. in different ways. Um, it, it, Iowa especially had um, some really famous places where there were different cultures moving to Iowa. They had um, some Hasidic Jews move to Iowa, and they started a kosher meat pack, you know, meat processing plant. Okay. And so the people didn't know how to handle this new culture of these Hasidic Jews, and they would bring them Kool Aid and cookies, and they're like, uh, "We can't eat that." sorry i appreciate you being you know understanding and then in order to get people to work at the the meat processing plants the the jews uh hired latino workers Hmm. and so now this non-diverse place now suddenly had hasidic jews as a community and then started getting latinos a community and we're just what is what is happening in our community you know it's suddenly brooklyn yeah and they they didn't really offer the kool-aid and the cookies to the latinos as much but it was the society changed and because they had that close proximity and that understanding now they it became a little bit more of the conversation. Now you were able to actually have a conversation because it was something that you were experiencing mm-hmm. in your culture, in your world around you. And we do have a more diverse America now today than we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was always diversity. I don't want to say that there wasn't. There absolutely always was. Um, and I think it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about animation versus live action, this aspect. And I feel like we have more racial diversity in animation right now. I would say that's true. Um, But live action does better with gender and sexuality diversity. Hmm. Like still in cartoon shows, we have a problem with female characters nonstop. It's like love interests or sisters or mothers. Uh, Not as often main characters, but they are there. Actually, um, I have to scroll down and look it up. I have a lot of notes. Ooh, I did not take down who did this. Someone did a lovely, lovely study about um, examining the evolution of diversity in children's programming. And this person went through all the cartoon shows from different decades and counted up the diversity of characters. Um, And it is Sarah Nixon for Not Your Mama's Gamer, that website. Um, What she discovered is that 2000s, 2000, 2010, there's a much higher rate of female leads in cartoon shows compared to the 90s, and even the 2010s, it dropped back off again. Hmm. Although we are getting more, we're more racially diverse in cartoon shows in the 2010s than we are the 90s, but it's less than the 2000s even as well. Seems like it was a very diverse time a few years ago, and that's stepped back a little bit. Hmm. Some good numbers. I'll include it in the show notes. Okay. Because Sarah Nixon did wonderful work, and I'm glad that I didn't have to count. <laughs> um, and it's good research. Very interesting. So, 
if, if we're wanting to get more diverse characters, we do have to stop assuming that what our default is. We can't say hero of the show, mm-hmm. and then immediately what comes to mind is a you know a white male twenties to thirties, or you know depending mm-hmm. on which show we're creating for. It's like okay, so here we have a. We're doing a kid show. Great. So we need a boy who's seven to ten, and he's white, and he's middle class, and he has a sister, maybe because you have to have a sister. And yeah, I don't know. even know about middle class. I feel like the, growing up, maybe on the lower end of middle class, like every cartoon character felt like they were upper class when I was looking. Maybe they're upper middle class. I don't. They know. might be upper middle class, but they went to public school, but they had nice things. They're very nice things. Nice houses. Very nice houses. <laughs> Should we get into... Here's, here's one example that I think is... It's, it's really well done because mm-hmm. it's done of character. Um, and it's something that we'll talk about more in depth uh, in, in a future episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Doc McStuffins. Ugh, I which, love Doc McStuffins. Which you just recently yeah. have seen, thanks to my son, Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack has introduced me to Dr. McStuffins. Um... That, but Doc McStuffins is an African, African-American girl um, who wants to grow up and be a doctor, mm-hmm. but is not waiting. She currently <laughs> is practicing as a doctor for her stuffed animals who come to life in a very Toy Story-ish way. Although they do remain alive when she's not, you know, she experiences them and they are alive when they're not around and... Which is the rules are interesting. The <laughs> rules are interesting. But um, Doc McStuffins, which recently won a 2015 NAACP Image Award for its representation, and Chris Nee, um, who was the creator, said that she went to Disney and pitched uh, a story of a girl who wants to be a doctor. And they said, what if the Disney executives were like, what if she's also African-American? And she said, that's great. (laughs) Sure. Why not? (laughs) So now you have an African-American girl um, and her African-American mother, who is a doctor, Mm -hmm. not the father. Who is seemingly a stay-at-home dad. And then her father, who's a stay-at-home dad, he is, uh, who likes to garden and do other things. But you get this, this new family, and it's interesting, and they don't talk about it in terms of race or anything but it it just it's there Mm -hmm. and And that's representation and the fact that it's just there and her thing is she's a good and caring doctor Mm -hmm. so they didn't define her by she's a girl who wants to be a doctor they didn't define her by she's a african-american who wants to be a doctor she's a little girl who wants to be a doctor Mm -hmm. that's that's what it is um and my, my son was Doc McStuffins for Halloween. Like, mm-hmm. he loves the show. He was Doc McStuffins for Halloween. That's what he wanted to be. And we're like, oh, you want to be a doctor? No, I want to be Doc McStuffins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that just goes how well they define this character. And I think that's what we're looking for is a well-defined character when you consider it a full character and not just checking off a box mm-hmm. or um, as they do in something like family guy where 
Family it's, Guy. It's just a joke. It is. I feel like Family Guy, the diversity is only present as the butt of a joke. And sometimes if someone's funny enough, they stick around and they might have non-joke things. Um, although the probably most fully fleshed out African-American character, Cleveland, of course, got his own show. They had to take him off of Family Guy and give him his own show to, all about being black. In order to talk about it. Yeah. Couldn't do it on Family Guy, but you know. But I, And I think The Simpsons has changed a lot of ways in terms of how they have diversity as a joke. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, Apuna Hasapima Penalon is a one-joke character. Yeah. Um, but to The Simpsons' credit, they also have side characters and background characters who have always been diverse. And it's never I don't think there's ever been a... Well, that's a lie. Carl has been the butt of a joke recently where he just mentions offhand that he's from Iceland, which you don't expect because Carl's black. Right. And now that's a thing that they've made on The Simpsons. It's like, oh, yeah, Carl's from Iceland. I think the, bo- the joke is that it's unexpected in that case. Because of the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of examples. One of my favorite examples that I've seen the first episode of, um, I don't know if it's on any American TV channels, but there's a Pakistani superhero children's show called Burka Avenger. I've seen the first episode, too. Oh, I love this show because it is about um, the main character is a female Muslim. And in the superhero scenes, she's wearing a burqa because that's her disguise, how she hides her identity. But she doesn't wear a burqa when she's not in the superhero scenes. And because it's promoting um, equality of women in Pakistan, her superpowers are literacy. She fights with books and pens against the villains and she's promoting female literacy. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. I love this. So it doesn't speak as much like in a diverse American audience, but I think that's a wonderful example of what you can do with animation in terms of diversity. And and make it exciting. And mm-hmm. people might be able to accept that more than something live action. Mm-hmm. Whether budget wise or other things, but also in the representation. The fact that you have um, and something that's animated means you have a little bit of distance there. Mm-hmm. It's less threatening. Right. <laughs> right. A drawing of a female superhero throwing pencils is different than... An American gritty adaptation for Netflix of the Burka Adventure. Which might be interesting. I would watch it. I don't think it would be good or flattering. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'd, probably watch, I'd probably catch the first episode yeah. of it. <laughs> If we, if we do the you know wheel of crossovers and end up with Burke Adventure made on Netflix, I think that would be. Mm. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, we have so many examples. Um, one thing I do want to call out: Steven Universe, which I've been talking about. I'm kind of getting into and watching the episodes, which I haven't seen yet, but it's hard to get into. Okay. I think it's hard to get into. I'll say that. Um, I think it is a very interesting show. I'm going to start from the beginning watching it in order. Um, and it's diverse in a couple ways, which is very respectful. And they do something interesting that I think is so wonderful. Because so often in cartoon shows, you have these non-gendered, non-human beings. And they're like, oh, what well, we present as male and identify as male. He did this. Him. Stuff like that. Right. And in Steven Universe, the gems are non-gendered beings, but they all present as female and use female pronouns. 
And it's just like this little twist, like, oh, that's interesting. But why shouldn't they do that? Hmm. So all the gems are female. Um, and on top of that, even though they're non-gendered, there is, there's love between gems as well. So you do get these love scenes between two female-identified characters. And I won't spoil much about that, but... Um, I don't know if that counts as having lesbian characters on TV because they don't really have gender. Because they're gems. Yeah, but they, they appear as a lesbian relationship. So I'm not sure if that's how they like got by the censors or what happened there. I'm okay with it. But there is that. Hmm. Yeah. That and um, Steven's best friend slash sort of love interest um, is Connie, who is in, um, she's Indian American. And it's all about her parents are kind of like stereotypical middle class, just like, oh, we're strict with our daughter. And Steven, of course, doesn't really have a mother or father figure that's his father figures in his life, but not very helpful. So he doesn't go to school and is like this rebel child and he has this rule abiding friend. Um, so they have an interesting dynamic as well. And just throughout the town, there's all sorts of diversity. There's a, a pizza place where the family runs this fish stew pizza place. Um, they're African, I think. They have an interesting accent. Hmm. So there's interesting diversity there. I'm not sure what to yeah. s what it says. <laughs> yeah, and they sort but. of explore it, and it's through the eyes of Steven Universe, who's a child. He's like, "Oh well, that's normal. That's just his take on everything." Like, "Oh yeah, of course." Someone will share a vulnerability with him, whether it's just the plot of the episode or it's like, "Oh yeah, I'm afraid because blah 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 blah." He's like, "Oh, why? I don't understand." Why would be afraid to be diverse? And that's it. Mm -hmm. hmm. I don't know. That's an example. That's a good example. <laughs> I think it's a good example. You also have your um, one of your favorites as an example, gargoyles. Oh, gargoyles, which we haven't talked about much. and We're not going to go deep into the gargoyles mythos today. No, we're not. But gargoyles is... <laughs> Maybe problematic in its diversity. It's positive, but also kind of brushes over it. Alisa Maza is a main character. Maybe the main character of the show. She's a human, not a gargoyle. I have to clarify that if you haven't seen Gargoyles. <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, and Alisa Maza is a cop in New York. And actually, fun fact, the first animated woman with a gun. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So she presents as this... Very light-skinned, and you would assume white at first, Very as a white character with blue hair. Um, but as the show goes on, you realize that her mother is African-American and her father is Native American. And her brother is just clearly an African-American character. So they explore some of that diversity and the, the culture in her backgrounds. They, they go to New Mexico and have a whole thing where they meet Coyote and kind of stereotypical and they go to Africa and they meet a Nazi <laughs> and you know like you do right <laughs> um, so problematic diversity but they do explore it there as well and um, Keith David who is an African American voice actor voices Goliath the other main character so as you do with so many characters Darth Vader Mufasa you have a black voice actor and a character you'd assume if they were human to be white. Right. Or you get uh, Mushu, 
in oh, Mulan. Mushu. And get Eddie Murphy to, to play um, this. <laughs> Which is all sorts of complicated. Dragon spirit from... <laughs> from China. China. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Eddie. I will say this, though. Um, my wife and I watched Mulan um, in um, Mandarin. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting experience. It was really good to watch. We understood probably nothing because we were going <laughs> off of our knowledge of the movie. Mm-hmm. But there was something about about it that felt really good. Mm-hmm. And Jackie Chan played um, the prince, or not the prince, he's not a prince, the uh, captain. And did the singing and everything. Just a side what? note. What? Yeah, if you want to hear Jackie Chan sing... In Mandarin. In Mandarin. Watch Mulan in Mandarin. Okay. I will do that. Yeah, suggestion out there. Your diversity suggestion of the day. <laughs> um, I, I would not call that. Can that be a new but segment? <laughs> diverse, maybe. If you want to diversify your watching, we suggest this. That might be fun. <laughs> uh, there's so much... Uh, so I went overboard with this episode and did a lot of research as well. Um, there's so many directions we could take with this. It, it, whether it's about the actual characters, having those characters in it, whether it's a show, whether um, the whole show is about them. For example, the um, having African-American main characters mm-hmm. in the show. Should the show just have them, or should it be about the black experience? Right. So you have the Proud family and Boondocks, which mm-hmm. different. Yeah, um, not for kids. Cleveland show, Fat Albert, the PJs way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, do, that, the, it's the, their separate experience as opposed to having it in a show where you mingle, mm-hmm. you know, do a little bit more mingling. Yeah, and there's... Lots of examples of shows with black lead characters who, it's not about that. Um, Static Shock, Young Justice, we mentioned. Um, Men in Black. Right. It's not about... We never talk about that. Even though that's pretty heavy there, you know. Mm-hmm. But when, how do you talk about the diversity of a white man and an African-American man being teamed up when you have aliens? Yeah. You, you, that's that conversation doesn't happen when diversity on earth is nothing compared to the spectrum of the universe i don't know something i got nothing maybe that's a statement is there one that's do you think there's more value to one type of show than the other where it's about diversity or where it just has diversity i think when a show has diversity which i think when we get to our example um which we're very close to um <laughs> that when something just simply is and you don't call attention to it and you just let it sit there, mm-hmm. um, that I think that's the kind of diversity. When you think more of this character is um, African-American, but that's not what defines them. Mm-hmm. What you're, you're using that to create specificity. Mm-hmm. And when you have that specificity, that just defines other experiences that they may have. Um, And it's just when you are specific in your choices, you're getting towards um, how the rest of the world reacts to the character and how the character reacts to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're, you're just adding as much specificity as you can, whether that is in gender or sexuality or race, mm-hmm. every time you take off one of those boxes for a specific character, you're saying, these are the things that define this character's experience. And that experience is going to be what this character takes with them as they encounter giant space monsters, giant space monsters. Yeah, correct. Right. Cartoons. Cartoons. <laughs> so um, one big conversation that's been happening lately, specifically in theater, has been with the concept of yellow face. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about this in terms of the voice actors, because we don't talk about it as much, but the voice actors in animation. Um, so yellow face, which is essentially much like blackface, uh, is a white actor or an actor not of a race performing as someone of a different race. So mm-hmm. a white actor in yellow face would be um, performing as an Asian character. Mm-hmm. This has been going on. There's been lots of conversations in, in the theater circle about this concept happening where, you know, they did a production of the Nightingale and they didn't hire any Asian actors and they did um, a production of the Mikado and didn't hire any Asian actors. And so it's, you're you're turning this uh, goes back to Orientalism and mm-hmm. dirty things like that. Or if you're not familiar with the theater, if you make a movie out of I don't know Avatar: The Last Airbender and you cast all white actors, right? <laughs> Just to throw that out there. <laughs> so what is interesting about this is as we have something like if we take Futurama and have Billy West, a white voice actor, performing as Amy Wong's father in a really stereotypical Asian accent Mm -hmm. alongside Lauren Tom, who's Asian, um, performing as Mrs. Wong and as Amy. Mm -hmm. So you, but you have these two double characterizations of this stereotypical Asian accent one from Billy West, one from Lauren Tom. Mm-hmm. Is it okay if Lauren Tom does it, but it's not okay if Billy West does it? And then it also brings to question who wrote the lines in the first place. Was it a white writer or was it um, a Asian American or a writer of Asian descent? So if you had, um, is it better? Is it okay? Does it, is it a wash, so to speak? <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, <laughs> if you have an actor of color in the role, even if that character is a stereotype, I would say no. But it's it gets tricky. I mean, looking at um, gay alt, gay culture and gay art that's been around um, so much of gay culture before it hit mainstream was about making fun of gay culture right and parodying itself and people who aren't gay can latch onto that and that becomes negative but if you are gay you know it's just kind of a joke it's a it's a difficult line to walk so if you grab a character like um speedy gonzalez is it okay to do Speedy Gonzalez if you have Latino writers and directors make Speedy Gonzalez a, a reboot of Speedy Gonzalez? 
voiced by a Latino actor. <sighs> would that be okay? I would take that job if they were like, hey, Chris Leva, we want you, a Latino, to write a new Speedy Gonzalez reboot. I would grab my wheel of crossovers, mm -hmm. spin that, and then figure, <laughs> out, figure out how we would do it. But I would take that job. It's Mexicans Just because love it's a, Speedy it, Gonzalez. He's a really popular because he's he's like Bugs Bunny. He's yeah. super smart. He's he manipulates. He's fast. He's but he's a stereotype done by Mel Blanc mm -hmm. way back doing this. You know, I love Speedy Gonzalez. Also, I think it's complicated for me as a white person to love him. Um, <laughs> I do miss him. It's, I don't know. Probably the best part of Looney Tunes back in action, the film, was a table with Porky Pig, Speedy Gonzalez, and Pepe Le Pew <laughs> lamenting that they can't be in anything anymore because they are cultural stereotypes and can no longer exist. Like somebody said, yeah, I can't be on screen anymore. They go, tell me about it. <laughs> it's them at a table ostracized from ever being shown on film again. It's just... That just says something, but I don't think I have an answer to, is it okay to have speed against, I, I would. S I don't know if we have to have an answer either. No, but that question has to be asked. Yeah. People need to ask that question. I, I agree. I think it's something that needs to be explored. Maybe not definitively answered, but explored. So let's talk about one example. Mm-hmm. Since we're talking Latinos slightly, <laughs> slightly <laughs> going from Speedy Gonzalez to, you know, um, Star versus the Forces of Evil, which was the homework, which was the homework. Season one, episode five. We're not going to dig deep into this, but looking at it as far as not picking on this episode or this this show, but just taking a look at it, and they do two different things. They have. Um, our main character, and we also have his father, mm -hmm. Mr. Diaz. Mr. Diaz. Uh, I don't think he ever has a name, but um, just showing a Latino experience from the mixed race son. Mm -hmm. Why am I blanking on the name? Mar Marco. There we go. <laughs> I was like for just a second. So you have Marco Diaz, whose mother is white and whose father is um, Latino. Um, who has no accent, doesn't speak with an accent, doesn't quite look like he may be Latino, mm -hmm. except for the little birthmark, because mm -hmm. that means Latino, usually, <laughs> if you have a birthmark. <laughs> if you're if you're off-white and have a birthmark, ah, Latino. Um, but he's simply there. Um, he loves karate. The something about him being Latino and being mixed race isn't what defines him. He's defined by loving safety <laughs> and trying to do right by his parents and loving his parents. Um, and in this episode, it's his parents' anniversary, and he gets them fanny packs. Mm -hmm. Better fanny packs than the previous year. And they just have everything that they could possibly need when they go on a family trip somewhere. Go camping. Um, and it's just him trying to be a good son and trying to make these gifts for his parents. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting, fun little story. I do think there's something universal in the story of Mr. Diaz being yeah, maybe, maybe slightly.
slightly a stereotype. Well, with his little pencil thin mustache, his, and his big chest muscles, hair, chest and... that his wife plucks, and mm-hmm. ooh, yes, you know. which is me being a stereotype. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think there's a universality in Marco being embarrassed by his dad. Mm-hmm. Maybe not specifically because of how Mr. Diaz is acting, but just kids being embarrassed by their parents for one reason or another. Especially their parents showing affection in front of them. Yeah. Whether that affection is his... It's just that image of her plucking <laughs> his chest stuck hair. in my head. I just can't... It's really long chest hair. Yeah, just boing. it's springy. Oh, it is. It's springy. So it's it may be long, but it coils. So, boing. <laughs> and it flicks back. But Mr. <laughs> Mr. Diaz, while having a stereotypical accent in a lot of ways... Um, voiced by um, voice actor Art Butler, who's half Japanese and half Mexican, um, which I think is cool in itself. I just think that's awesome. I would watch a show about a character who's half Japanese and half Mexican, and which is sounds like gargoyles again, right? We get back to gargoyles <laughs> in a way, but it's. But I was I was when I first watched. Uh, when I watched the first episode of Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and especially when I watched this episode, I immediately looked at who is the actor. Because for me, I was fine with Marco, and I loved Marco, and the representation of Marco just being a kid who had a personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when, when I met his father, I, I immediately went to IMDb and said, who is this guy? Because I have to know, did they just get... You know, a guy who's doing other voices in the show to just put on a Latino accent. Mm-hmm. Or is it somebody who has, you know, I don't want to say the right to do that accent, but... The experience? The experience. Is it, is it somebody putting on a stereotype or is it somebody mimicking something that they've heard coded in their lives? Yeah. When I do a bad uh, stereotypical... Mexican accent. <laughs> I'm drawing on family members and <laughs> life that that hits into my head, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't call it. Uh, I wouldn't say legitimate. You know, makes it a legitimate thing, <laughs> but I'm drawing on culture and experience. Absolutely, I think it's you. It's almost self-deprecating. You take your what makes you different. You kind of downplay it. Right. I played um, Pablo. In um, the life of Pablo? No, <laughs> no. In um, Streetcar Named Desire in college, one of my final roles on the stage, um, and I did use an accent um, that was, I think, one of the one points of humor in the in the play <laughs> was my accent, um, but. I would stay in character off stage, so I wouldn't lose the accent. Ooh, that gets complex. Also, what was really funny was describing. We were doing. We were taking a class in Eastern mythology and things like that, and uh, just using that accent to study for a test while I wasn't on stage. It made me remember so many things and talk about you know Hideyoshi and all this other stuff and this bad stereotypical Latino accent. Just. It solidified that information for me. I should always study like that. 
<laughs> it just codified it. But what more should we say about about this episode? Oh, I have. Star vs. the Force of Evil is a Disney Channel show, right? Disney XD. Disney XD. Created by a woman. Created by a woman. Darren Nefsey. It was. It's the only woman-produced show on Disney XD. Mm, that's interesting. Which says something culturally there. It does. I'm surprised by that, actually. And it, it plays... Because I guess women don't normally get to do the action more um, men... Goes back to the executive shows. thing again. Right. Yeah. Disney XD is our <clears throat> Disney Extreme, mm-hmm. you know. Disney Extreme! Where we get, you know, Star Wars Rebels and all these other things Which for, for boys. So action-oriented. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, but we get a Latino Jedi in Star Wars Rebels. Because we get, you know, Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> what? I wouldn't say the character is Latino. I would. Okay. I would argue that somehow there's a Latino in space. I think Disney moving forward is focusing on diversity, though. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting stuff. Actually, uh, there's a John Lasseter quote, which during a press conference for Inside Out, um, he said, it's very important to us to have female and ethnic characters. If John Lasseter is saying this, it's probably a priority for Disney. At the same time, we also have Chris Buck, who's a co-director of Frozen, talking to MTV News. Um, saying, I don't think any of us take lightly, even though they're very funny and entertaining, the messages that our movies have and the influence that they can have on young people. We want them to see what the world can be. And I think that's what Disney's going for. Especially with Zootopia, which is on the way, which is all about culture. And diversity. And diversity. Told through animals. Because you can do that with animation and not have to deal with specific culturally sensitive topics, but talk about them broadly. Exactly. I mean, now you could probably do animals in live action and talk about it, but before you couldn't. (laughs) So. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to to Zootopia. I'm sold on it now, I think. I didn't used to. I didn't used to be, but But I'm sold on it now. I want to make clear that Marco Diaz... I love him as a character, and I'm glad that he's out there. Mm-hmm. Mr. Diaz, I think if you're looking at the antithesis of who Marco is, if Marco is not the cultural representation of a huge masculine Latino, that showing him butting up against that in his father just shows just how a, much of a normal kid mm-hmm. Marco is. He's inheriting that cartoon heritage. It's like his dad is Speedy Gonzalez. His dad is Speedy Gonzalez. In There's your show. Speedy Gonzalez is the dad, and now we're getting the culture. Oh, you could say so much about that. Boom. Sold. It's almost like Que Pasa USA. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. Okay. Que Pasa USA. Sold. <laughs> it's not animated, but. Okay. We're endorsing non-animated things now. We're, we're endorsing diversity. Yeah. Yes. So Mulan in Mandarin. Capacity mm-hmm. USA. These are your diversity tips of the day brought to you by Writers Get Animated. Find us on... <laughs> you can find us on the web again at WG Animated on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook 
facebook.com slash WG animated or on Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. And there are so many diverse things. Please share with us your favorite moment of diversity. We would love to know what else is out there. There are so many examples we didn't even get to that we wrote down. And actually, I want to ask Chris, what is your favorite thing about diversity in animation that we may or may not have talked about today? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to say the, the one that I remembered was the Looney Tunes back in action. Speedy Gonzalez, Pepe Le Pew, and mm. Porky Pig at a table. <laughs> I think that moment, mm -hmm. I think that's my favorite moment, and I remembered it on my way over here to record. Mm. So I, I, I would say that's my favorite moment. I like it. I think mine, I'm going to go with Legend of Korra. Um, what? I know. What? <laughs> um, I have to say, if you haven't watched this yet, if you're going to watch the show... This is a huge spoiler, so maybe just skip 30 seconds into the future here on our podcast, or just stop listening now. We're almost done. <laughs> but huge spoiler. Legend of Korra, um, the very last, like, 10 seconds of the show. Like, the world is saved. Korra's grown as a character. Um, she's not back together with her on-again, off-again boyfriend. And she's talking to Asami, another person in Team Avatar. Um... I'm like, oh, let's go on a vacation. Let's have a vacation together. Let's just get out of here. And the last shot is them walking into the spirit portal to go to the spirit world. And they hold hands, walking into it, and they look at each other. And the creators have confirmed that this is, um, they are both bisexual. And they're having a romantic ending here. And it's heartwarming for me because it's the first time in, like, not Saturday morning, but Saturday morning cartoon equivalents, I've seen something like me. I've seen that in more... Like adult cartoons, The Simpsons, Futurama-ish, Randy, <laughs> if you can count that. Um, but this is the first time I've seen a positive image of who I am in a show like this. So for me, that was that's my favorite moment. I got so excited. I think that I texted Chris right away. <laughs> I think you I did. texted everyone like, oh my god, Legend of Korra! You, you did. I did. It was almost instant. <laughs> yeah. After. <gasps> that's my favorite thing. Well, thank you, as always, to Nigel Coutinho, our engineer, and our music by Jacob Reed. Mm -hmm. And you've done all the, the I've plugs, done all the so plugs. I'm going to do homework time then. Homework time. Next episode, we're talking about shows that Jack watches that Chris can tolerate. <laughs> So, kids shows that are out there that parents can also enjoy, kind of. They have value. They do have lots of value. So, we're going we're gonna to be talking about, specifically, two episodes. Um, one episode of Puffin Rock. Catch it on Netflix. Puffin Rock. Uh, the episode is Cave Camping. Um, and then an episode of Doc McStuffins. Uh, you can catch that. Grab a DVD. Grab it on iTunes. Find it somewhere. Um, gulpy Gulpy Gators slash One Note Wonder. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about those two shows. And the experience of being a father for Chris and not being a father for Mackenzie. <laughs> and experiencing these shows. Awesome. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>